0: everybody, welcome to the February 15th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on President Trump declaring a national emergency in order to bypass Congress to fund a wall at the Mexican border. One of the possible sources of money may come from Department of Defense funds designated for military construction projects. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, not only do we have this major update nationally from President Trump, but I think we might even have some more localized updates from our own uh, veteran at this table, Tom Tancredo, who's been doing his own work at the border. Uh, what updates do you have to share?
1: Well, we don't know what's happened between when Trump made this announcement, when we taped, and when it airs. Mm-hmm. By now, if you follow Tom Tancredo's prediction, it, the na- this national emergency order will have gone to court which is where it will ultimately probably be decided. Tom Tancredo, formerly of this table, formerly a congressional representative and gubernatorial candidate, was down in Arizona this week with the original MAGA gangsters, Make America Great Gangsters, including Steve Bannon, because they are all part of this group that wants to build the wall independently and privately. And I have to say, probably that's a lot better idea than shutting down defense spending so that Trump can build a wall. He's had two years to come up with a plan for.
0: Who would have thought in 2019, if you can say you're a MAGA OG, is responding as <laughs> you're referring to Steve Bannon and not somebody in uh, some crazy gang. Okay, well said. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. This almost seems like a a lot of window dressing to me because if President Trump comes out and says this to his base that I'm taking the money as a national emergency, his base is excited and he doesn't get called a coward. It gets locked into courts for however many years, so nothing ever actually happens, you don't actually take money from any sort of thing, and we move on to the next distraction of the moment. But I've been known to be a little cynical around this table. What do you think?
2: Uh, your, your cynicism is, is appropriate in this situation. And uh, in this shutdown and budget negotiation, uh, Trump uh, has been a chump and not the great deal maker uh, he claims to be. The bill he signed significantly reduces federal immigration enforcement, for example, by a major cut in the number of beds available to detain criminal illegal aliens uh, pending final deportation, so he's going backwards on on that. Um, For the wall, Congress with the 1976 National Emergencies Act and then other related laws has given presidents some authority to move money in in particular ways from one bucket to another, Uh, for example, within defense construction appropriation. I think President Obama used that power a dozen times. Uh, to move move appropriated funds uh, during what the president called one of the eighteen national emergencies he declared. Our particular danger here in our society is not so much this particular reprogramming which can be courts will decide on the legality of that, I I don't know, but you can see the other side getting very excited while they pretend to be so outraged about this wall, Elizabeth Warren coming out and saying, well, the wall, you know, illegal Immigration is not a national emergency, but guns are, climate is. So you can imagine when she becomes president, how she will try to push emergency powers even further, perhaps even to the point of gun confiscation. And uh, when that was tried in April 1775 at Lexington and Concord, it caused a lot of trouble. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was dying for an 18th century reference, David. We've missed you so much this table. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Uh, Ed Seelever from the Denver Business Journal. Uh, this is something that may be locked in the in the courts. It's a national issue. But in Colorado, you have a, a recent poll say that Republicans really support President Trump on this issue. But you also have a lot of Colorado Republicans who are part of a military uh, tradition in Colorado, whether it be in Colorado Springs, Fort Carson, Fort Carson other places. Does that maybe temper the support? Court if it becomes military funding that actually starts to pay for this, if it ever comes to pass.
3: Absolutely. And I think you might actually see the first crack in the Republican backing of, of Donald Trump, especially. I mean, I'd love to see the reaction right now in Doug Lamborn's office. Doug Lamborn represents the 5th Congressional District, Fort Carson, and th- three or four other military bases in his district. Um, I would imagine you're in a no win situation at this point. Um, you know, frankly, uh, maybe this is what the Republicans need. You referenced that poll that said Republicans are so far behind Trump right now. Well, clearly the results of the 2018 election show that independents are not. And Republicans need to have some sort of severability from Trump, uh, backing him on the issues which Republicans and independents and pragmatic moderates will back him on, but not going in full force behind him. If this is the issue that could actually create that severability, it might be a gift in disguise for the Colorado Republican Party. Party.
0: anna staver politics reporter from denver post making your debut on the program thanks for joining us uh so speaking of uh politics and the colorado republicans do you think this has an impact on the upcoming 2020 u.s senate race
4: I think it could. Well, I think anything that develops nationally is going to impact the 2020 race uh, because Gardner, uh, Senator Gardner's got a really difficult needle to thread here. Um, he has said in the past that he is opposed to this kind of emergency declaration, but he's been quiet since the official announcement's been made. And I think it's one thing to oppose something in theory, but when it actually becomes actually in practice, it becomes something entirely different. I mean, McConnell, Mitch McConnell is rumored to have lobbied Trump not to do it, but now he's behind him that he is doing it. So Gardner is kind of a damned if you do and damned if you don't position because if he opposes the president, he risks a primary. If he gets behind the president, he risks losing the election potentially.
0: It's I like the analogy, a, a, a tricky needle to thread. Yes. Shortly before schools were set to open on Thursday morning, Denver Public Schools and the Denver Classroom Teacher Association reached a tentative deal. The agreement comes after a three-day walkout that was marked with student protests. The agreement puts $25.2 million more million into base salary, added more pay lanes, and includes concessions on incentives. Patty, this three-day walkout included videos from inside schools that showed uh, a lot of crazy things going on that I don't think would be called any sort of classroom teaching and reports of uh, students watching the movie The Incredibles. Again, probably not what folks wanted to see. After all is said and done, what do you think is the key takeaways from what we saw this week? Uh,
1: One of the lessons certainly that we got and the DPS got is optics matter. We saw as as the threat was coming down, the DPS made a couple boneheaded mistakes, including the memo that went out about teachers who were not U.S. citizens. We saw it coming up again in some other issues, certainly on Monday, when East High School looked like um, you know, spring break in, uh, in Mazatlan. It was just <laughs> wacky inside, and you're like, really, you think you're getting prepared, but you clearly aren't prepared. So the optics were all on the side once the strike started of the uh, Classroom Teachers Union, which was interesting because I thought a lot of people in Denver were not particularly sympathetic going into this. People who are already facing raising rents too, who haven't had big raises, who thought the teachers were getting an okay deal already. But the more you studied how Pro Comp, which came with the best intentions, if you saw Federico Pena's recent column. Best intentions, but perhaps wound up being misapplied. There was a letter to the editor in the Post from the tech head at DPS for a long time and said ProCom's database really didn't work. If ProCom could work and if the teachers who are working in the really tough schools, taking on the tough assignments, can get the bonuses they want, if that had been applied fairly, I don't think this this, uh, strike would have gone as it did. But... As it was, we all got a lesson in optics, and we're about to get a big lesson in how this is going to affect this next school board election. Mm-hmm.
0: David, it seemed that, as Patty mentioned in optics, the public relations war, the the union seemed to at least win that those those three days. But a compromise in the agreement is that's that's the nitty gritty. When it comes down to the agreement, would you say it was a draw, or did it go one way or the other for one organization or the other?
2: I think it went heavily in favor of the Denver Classroom Teachers Association, but the the school board managed to retain what turned out to be its key things, which is the bonuses. Patty mentioned they can give a $2,000 incentive to educators to work in high-poverty schools, uh, a separate $2,000 annual bonus uh, for teachers in hard to fill positions, which is primarily special ed and also advanced math and science, and they can give a $3,000 retention bonus for educators who return year after year to one of the 30 high priority schools uh, from the district's point of view. The teachers in exchange get an 11.7 percent across the board pay raise immediately and then for the rest of their careers their compensation is mostly based on a grid of years of experience with their educational background. Uh, The steps go up faster in the new system and in terms of what they call changing lanes, like you go from somebody who's got a bachelor's uh, degree to someone who's got a bachelor's degree plus 20 years of postgraduate education. Now instead of getting that post, having to get that postgraduate education, say at CU Denver or someplace like that, it can also be just the you know, eight hours of continuing professional education you get on, on some day uh, as part of normal continuing teacher education. So it's going to be a lot easier for teachers to change lanes and move into higher uh, uh, compensation structures. So they, they got a, the DCTA. I, overall, I'd score this as a big win for them.
0: Ed, the strike made national news. A lot of uh, impactful video from the three-day walkout. Do you think this might impact other big business uh, negotiations with other unions uh, in Colorado or other teachers' unions in other big cities?
3: As far as big business negotiations with unions in Colorado, we're still a state that's, that's putting, what, 11% of our private workforce into unions right now. So, no, I don't think this is going to have a big impact. Uh, unions are still a relatively small player in uh, in the uh, in the private sector world. And, and frankly, as uh, a number of the union-dominated industries, such as, say, coal mining, uh, begin to dwindle, that number will even go down further. Um, as far as other school districts go, I know we've talked about that around this table before, I think this kind of lights the fire to open the door for other such uh, um, uh, strikes. You know, this was clearly one that was successful. And, and I will say, I think it was successful because it was so short. I think when you have two to three days of spring break uh, pandemonium uh, that's coming up in videos, the immediate reaction is, DPS can't control their schools, you know, these teachers need to get back there, they're right on this. If we would have had that for two weeks, I think the pendulum would have swung and said... Why can't the teachers care about these students anymore? So I think DPS or the DCTA won in keeping this so short and in getting this turned around. I think otherwise it would have been a draw if this would have gone longer. Um, lastly, I will just say this. The, 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 the lens I try to look at this from is, is this going to affect businesses that were wanting to move to Denver because of the educational system? And I think it was kept on a low enough level uh, in three days where I don't think it will affect those kind of corporate relocations people wanting to move to Denver. Um, but if we see episode after episode across the state of this blowing up, that could change.
0: Anna, the ink on Superintendent Cordova's business cards had barely dried <laughs> before she was handed uh, a very significant situation, the first teacher strike in 25 years. How do you think she did? How do you think, the, uh, how do you think DPS comes out after everything is said and done?
4: I think a lot of it depends on where they go from here, because one of the interesting things that I noticed is that they agreed to continue talking about pro-comp more generally. And I think that will be a real test because it was it did. It was a voter initiative. People approved it. They thought it was going to be a good idea. Um, but it doesn't – if you believe the union, they say the data – shows that those bonuses don't support retention. And if it's not working, there's been a lot of conversation about maybe revisiting that, maybe taking it out, maybe asking voters to change it. And I think how she navigates that and going forward, if she continues those conversations, will be a really important test.
0: State lawmakers introduced a red flag bill on Thursday that would allow a judge to order the temporary removal of firearms from individuals who are perceived to be a danger to themselves or others. A similar bill was introduced last year, but was shut down by the Republican-controlled Senate. David, you're one of the leading Second Amendment experts in the nation, let alone this table. So what do we need to know about this bill, and even as we compare it to what happened last year?
2: Well, here's some background. The Uniform Law Commission is a national body that writes model laws uh, for states to consider adopting. Last November, they created a working group to consider the creation of a national model law on this topic. And they brought in people from from all across the spectrum. I was on that. There were people, you know, law enforcement, uh, National Sheriff's Association, somebody from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the pro-gun groups, the anti-gun groups, the state courts, very wide group of people. In our meetings, almost all of us agreed that it was a good idea to go forward and to, for the Uniform Law Commission to create a national model bill. The opponents, only opponents, were the Giffords Group, one of the anti-gun groups uh, these days. And they didn't like the idea of the uniform commissioners creating a national model which would reflect compromise, the input of both sides, all those kinds of things. They wanted only their model to be the only thing that was out there. And then in January, when the national commissioners came up, the Giffords Group exercised enough of its political clout and got the national commissioners to choose not to draft a fair uniform model. So instead, what we get is their much more extreme model on which this bill is based. Representative, former Republican Representative Cole Wist, uh, in supported the 2018 bill. He does not support this 2019 bill because, in his view, it goes backwards on due process. And we can get into the details of that in in a future show, but. People who think, well, who cares about it? It's only gun owners uh, in terms of due process. This is a concept that once it comes into law, it's not going to just be used for guns. It will be applied, and there will be models based on this, on other types of laws, to take people's constitutional rights away without a hearing where they even get a chance uh, to participate. So we ought to be very careful on this.
0: And it's only been a day or so, but what's the reaction been on Capitol Hill, especially with Democrats controlling all levers of the government right now?
3: Uh, I think the reaction is exactly what you expect. It's a partisan split. It's expected to pass. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask, and I'm going to be very political here, uh, Dominic, in in, in doing that. um, In saying, I don't cover public safety, I don't cover gun issues normally, but I did spend nine years covering health care. And in terms of behavioral health, the red flag bill is a red herring. What it does is it's says that people uh, are such dangerous to society, particularly because of their behavioral health, that their guns should be taken away from them. It then goes into great detail about how you take those away, how they may get them back. What it does not do is offer a centimeter of help for anyone who is a target of this. It says simply, we'll take your guns. There is no effort to get these people help. There is no funding in here to get these people behavioral needs. Uh, quite frankly, if we are setting up uh, a society where we're saying, these people are so dangerous society they should not have guns, why aren't we asking, why are they even in society? Why aren't we getting these people the help they need, pulling them out of society and dealing with their behavioral health issues, not just taking taking away something that is a hot-button issue. So I don't know that there will be anything that comes to that end in this bill, but it's really something people should think about if they care about health.
0: Anna, we have the great luxury today. to have two Capitol Hill reporters uh, with us. What do you think about uh, the support shown so far for the bill, especially that included law enforcement officers uh, and others? It's uh, Well, it might be partisan. There are some other folks speaking up before this bill.
4: Yeah, I think uh, law enforcement is in a unique position, especially when you see Tony Spurlock of the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. Uh, The bill is named for one of his deputies who died trying to negotiate with one of these people who had a mental health issue. And for them, I think you know, um, the Boulder, I believe it was the Boulder County Sheriff who famously said he runs the largest mental health facility in his county. And they're in a difficult spot, right? They feel like they're on the front line of this issue. They're walking into these situations. These um, people may be armed. And to get to Ed's point, we're not providing a lot of wraparound services for them. So the officers sort of go in blind and hope for the best. And in a lot of these situations, it's tragic. And um, but one of the Um, most interesting parts about that is when you hear Tom Sullivan, who is an advocate for this, he's a representative, he lost his son in the Aurora theater shooting, Um, he said, you know, for the most part, that's not what they're trying to address. They're trying to address suicide. He thinks like 90% of these red flag um, or extremist protection orders will be issued on people with suicidal ideation. He thinks it's only in the rare case that they could be violent towards others. And that does um, sort of raise that that question of well, what do we do once we say, okay, this person is seriously considering suicide enough to the point where they um, need to have these weapons removed. I kind of wonder if it comes into um, when, how you get your weapons back. The judge has a lot of broad discretion in that. They can hold as many or as little hearings as they want. They actually do have the provision to order drug um, and alcohol and mental health evaluations. So I don't know if the judges then have enough latitude to order them into treatment.
0: Pat, is clearly a hot-button issue. Uh, Does it become a slam dunk, or is there more conversation with this involved?
4: Well, around this table, there
1: will be. (laughs) Uh, I think Ed's point is great, except, you know, pigs are going to fly when this legislature is able to really come up with a good plan right now to deal with mental health. This is a Band-Aid on the problem. And I think to add a Band-Aid to the Band-Aid, To deal with the due process issue and dial it back a little bit to where we were in 2018 would make some sense. But when you see the tragedies that have happened and when you hear law enforcement and Tom Sullivan talking about why they think they need this, it's a pretty compelling argument for the bill if they can band-aid over the uh, problems with it.
0: It's going to quick take on this last one. A bill in the Colorado legislature, which would ban conversion therapy, cleared its first hurdle this week as it passed the House committee on an eight to three vote. The bill would prohibit mental health professionals from practicing psychological interventions on patients under the age of 18. Ed. Um, Considering the makeup of the legislature this year, does this bill see any real hurdles as it moves forward?
3: No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's a Democratic-controlled legislature. The Democrats are solidly behind this. Even a few Republicans are getting behind this. Um, I, I think this soars through. I don't even, frankly, know how much of a difference this makes. I don't see. I never saw a lot of mental health professionals practicing conversion therapy in the first place. I think uh, people who want their kids to go through that kind of therapy aren't sending them to licensed mental health professionals. Uh, so, I don't know how big a difference it makes. But no, it's going through. It'll
0: become law. Annie, you're part of a, a lot of folks writing about this over uh, the last couple of weeks. What's your take?
4: I, I agree with Ed. I absolutely think this does become law. Um, there isn't a huge amount of opposition. There actually is um, a carve out already in statute um, that says uh, religious and ministry professionals are not considered mental health professionals. And I do think agree to Ed's point that a lot of people who are seeking this kind of treatment for their children may choose that route, which isn't covered by the bill anyway.
0: Patty, what do you think? I mean, it it seems that if there's a year this is just going to sail through, this is the year. But I also don't know if there's a lot of problems this particular law would solve.
1: Well, when it went through in Denver, Denver City Council, no one found any example of a licensed professional doing conversion therapy. And I don't think you will find many in Colorado at large. I do think this is the kind of thing that goes underground or goes on reality TV or into a uh, Hollywood movie. So it's going to pass clearly. it's um, Certainly when you've heard about how some of these kids are treated, it's really egregious. But I think we're getting into a lot of social engineering in the legislature this year. Straws, I mentioned kitty decline, but I don't think that's come up yet. Conversion therapy is definitely of the, the greater evil.
0: David, out of all the great people we have in this program, you by far do the most research as evidenced by the <laughs> half-remen of <laughs> paper we have yeah. there. Um, the, the, the floor is yours for a minute or so. Take a, take your uh, whack.
2: The bill has an enormous loophole in it because it specifically allows another form of conversion therapy, which is you have, say, a 11-year-old who has gender dysphoria. The field has a body of one sex but feels mentally of the opposite sex. The data overwhelmingly show that the large majority of children who have that condition eventually outgrow it. Some some don't, and so they may be like my fraternity brother Calvin, I guess now my fraternity sister Callie, who has, as an adult, had a gender change surgery. But for children, many of whom do grow out of it, this bill allows... The increasingly common practice of giving them puberty blockers, irrevocably changing their bodies so they will never experience normal adolescence. I think you know, talk therapy, convert that kind of stuff can be harmful to people. But you know, talk is cheap. Chemical intervention to permanently change a person's body is far more profound. And if we're going to ban talking in a particular way, we sh- certainly should give children more protection from irrevocable changes to their bodies.
0: It's time for a very, very part of the show, Disgrace the Week, as always. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off.
1: For everyone who thinks that the hullabaloo over the Me Too movement made these things stop, I refer to our cover story this week about the Leadville Sheriff's Office, where you find that dispatchers there were subjected to incredible harassment, and there's been an amazing turnover in the Leadville Law Enforcement, which now has the, only the second female sheriff in the country. So, Good for them, but for everyone else, actually listen when people are complaining.
0: David?
2: Well, someone who's often been considered disgraceful representative, and, and Ocasio-Cortez, I want to say something nice that she did, which is her leadership helped block the $3 billion corporate welfare giveaway to Amazon in New York City. Okay,
0: then. You heard it here first, folks. Ed?
3: (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm stunned in silence. Um, (laughs) uh, For anyone who feels like the U.S. government is falling apart, just go back and read the last two weeks of the El Chapo trial and realize how bad things can be when we are in a truly corrupt society. I'm glad it was actually the U.S. government that brought him to justice. Anna?
4: Um, I actually wanted to talk about Travis Kaufman. He's the uh, guy who uh, strangled the lion to death. Uh, I just want to say the disgrace of the week for me is all the people that, like, have an opinion about whether he should have killed the lion, whether that he could have, like, found a way to let it live, whether it was so small that he really what, had, didn't do much. Like, for everyone who has an opinion on what happened in that situation, like, I just think maybe take a breath.
0: Uh, a well-advised. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty.
4: Ed Perlmutter,
1: who actually had the first hearing uh, before the House committee on pot banking, which has been one of these things in Colorado everyone has known for 10 years, is a major, major need to be able to get banking services for the people who have to pay cash for their services, like the advertisers. We used to just have strippers coming in with cash. But now, you know, the pot (laughs) businesses. It's a real need for a growing industry.
0: (laughs) David, back
2: in 1990. Denver Democratic uh, state Senator Pat Pasco uh, sponsored and passed a bill to provide extra protection beyond what the U.S Constitution has uh, for student school journalists in Colorado. And that was one of the reasons why, during the recent strikes, students were able to report from what was going on in the schools. Ed. Um uh, the Senate today the Colorado Senate
3: unanimously passed a bill removing regulations banning local governments from regulating businesses run by minors for less than 12 weeks a year. There was a great point made on the Senate floor though that if we are thinking so hard about how to protect lemonade stands, show, snow shoveling businesses, etc., why aren't we thinking harder about how to protect more businesses from government overregulation? Anna
4: I actually also want to talk about something that happened at the legislature earlier this week. Um, I don't often uh, say this, but the maternal mortality review board bill, I think that's a great bill. Um, they're trying to strengthen it to get at better why women die in childbirth. Um, Colorado's um, maternal mortality rate has doubled between 2008 and 2013. And um, allowing the board more protections, more latitude, more funding, like to figure out why, I think that deserves to be commended.
0: That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thanks for tuning in. I want to remind you about two things. One, we have a very special announcement in just a couple of weeks. I, I feel terrible about just having a <laughs> teaser here. But in two weeks, we've got a, a brand-new membership benefit coming to all of our members here at CPT12. We're excited to share it, so please stay tuned. If you're already a member, there's going to be uh, messaging, messaging coming out to you soon, so be aware. For everybody here at Colorado Inside, at, at, at CPT12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.